0: Church, please turn to the third page of a bulletin for the scripture reading for today. The scripture today is taken from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Bidrat. Lord bless you, church. Now, just a note uh, before I begin. Most of you would have received midweek this letter written by me regarding the Wuhan coronavirus. Now, I hope you have read it. Now, if you have not received it and you want to read it, you can go to the registration desk at the back and pick up a physical copy. We have have about 20 copies available. Alternatively, you can inform one of our staff or you could inform me directly and we can send you the e-version. Now, the intention of writing to you on this topic is to help you anchor your heart rightly in the Lord during this season so that we can navigate during this season. Now, as a church, we want to respond to this health challenge not with fear, as you've heard, but with love and faith, seizing this opportunity to share the gospel to others. It is the time for us to pray as well, pray for God's protective covering for us, but beyond that, also intercessory prayers for many others. So we trust, as always, that God will redeem this current season for good. Now, I won't be doing this every Sunday, but this Sunday I feel the need and the urge to pray for all of us here this morning in this gathering, So can I invite all of you at this point to just stand to your feet? Let me pray Psalm 512 over you, as I mentioned last Sunday. So why don't you open your hearts and hands to receive this blessing. Sovereign Lord, we are gathered here to worship you. And now I ask that you bless this congregation, your redeemed, clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Cover everyone here right now, everyone in our church, from the young to the elderly, with your favor. Protect us with your shield from any illnesses and diseases. Restore those who are unwell back to health. I pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Please take a seat. Now, during different seasons of the year, the Lord leads us to different books and topics. And oftentimes, there will really be a word in season. So it's like, exactly what we need to hear during that particular time. So you may be thinking that a sermon on health or healing will be most appropriate today. But no, today and the next two Sundays, I'm going to preach on money. And I believe this will be a helpful word for all of us during this season as well, as we connect the dots between money and health and fear. So today, I begin a three-part topical sermon series entitled Dollars and Cents. And if you're here for the first time to Agape, you may be thinking like, okay, this confirms it. Come to church here about money. Always talk about money. That's what church is about. Now, we don't always talk about money. We touch on many, many other topics and many aspects of God. But it's very important that we talk about money because Jesus himself talks a lot about money. In Jesus' time, he saw a whole bunch of sick, diseased people coming to him for healing, and he did. But he will continue to preach and teach on various subjects including very prominently on money. So if we are to be faithful to the teachings of Jesus Christ, we must address the topic of money. Now, if you are new to Christianity altogether, there are in total 66 books that form the Bible and the four books that detail the historical life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, those four books, they have a lot of emphasis on money. Now, if you make a count, in the book of Matthew itself, Jesus talked about money 109 times. In the book of Mark, he makes mention of it 57 times. In the book of Luke, 94 times. And in the book of John, you know how many times? Auspicious number for the Chinese. 88 times. If you make a count that Jesus talks about money five times more than he talks about any other subject in the Bible, in the Bible. That's interesting. He talks about it so much. Now, even if you've heard about heard sermons about money many times before, money talks so loudly in our world today, and very much Singapore, it's not surprising that it would have gripped your heart without you knowing it. Now, even for the Wuhan coronavirus, we talk about how to contain the spread and stay healthy, and very quickly, guess what? The conversation shifts to how does this affect the economy? How does it affect our country in terms of dollars and cents? So this topic of money just comes up very quickly. Money talks very loudly in this world. So like Jesus, we want to address the topic of money in church. So we're going to zoom in on this topic right now. And the best way to do that is to hear what Jesus himself says about money. In Matthew 6, 19 to 24, this passage you just heard earlier, you find a portion of Jesus' very famous Sermon on the Mount, which stretches from Matthew 5 all the way to Matthew 7. Now again, if you have been following Agape's A Chapter A Day Bible reading plan, you would have read through these passages already on your own. Now today's passage is very well known among Christians. It gets quoted a lot actually. But most of us don't think deeply enough about it. Jesus' teaching on money are actually refreshingly different from what the world teaches us. And here in today's passage, Jesus' teaching gives us the right perspective to take on money. And He does so by revealing to us some dangers regarding money. And so right now, I'm going to zoom into Jesus' teachings and pull out three dangers of money for all of us. Whether you're getting a regular income through your work or you're still young and going to earn money in the future or you're no longer working for income, just relying on savings, regardless, if you are going to navigate through this world, you need to be on guard against these three dangers of money. So let me share with you these three dangers of money. Okay, let me see. One already? Yep. Three dangers of money. I'm going to reveal, to them, reveal them to you one by one. Alright? So here's the first one. Money can become your treasure. Money can become your treasure. Now, this is a danger. Why? Because it's not a good thing for money to become your treasure. It's dangerous. But let me clarify first. In this world, money is important. It is necessary for survival, for sustenance, to support our families, to buy property, to acquire things, and for recreation too. None of these things are bad, right? Good things. Being a Christian does not mean thinking money is evil. Money itself is a tool. It can be put to good use, or bad use. So there's nothing wrong with having money or spending money. It's good to have money. And material wealth is one of God's blessings as well. So if you're in financial need, you don't have to feel guilty about praying to God for more money. But, we learn about this in one of the letters in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 6.10. Apostle Paul, this is someone who followed the teachings of Jesus, he wrote this explicitly. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Many of you may have heard of this before, but it's worth repeating. Money is not a root of evil. It is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. And this is what Jesus is addressing right at the onset of this portion of His sermon. Money clearly has value. And that is not a problem. It becomes a problem only when you love money. And when that happens, money has become your treasure—something you regard as precious, something you hold tightly to, something you keep wanting more of. And that's what it means for money to become your treasure. And that's not good, because money is not a good treasure. But why exactly? Why is money not a good treasure? Now you may be thinking, money is not a good treasure, and you, because you should be treasuring possessions, you should not be. To, treasuring possessions or things. You should be treasuring people or relationships. So don't treasure money, treasure people, especially your family. That's what we would expect to hear. And that is true actually. You do want to treasure people on earth more than you treasure the things on earth. But here in this passage, this is not what Jesus is teaching. He has a different teaching point. He tells us that money is not a good treasure for a rather different reason. He's not saying money has no worth. Rather, He's saying that money is of a lesser worth than we think. And He gives the exact reason. Look at what Jesus says in this passage. He says in verses 19 to 20, Do not lay out for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now the phrase lay up is very interesting. In Greek, it literally means to treasure up. So in this context, it's saying treasure up treasures. So Jesus is saying, don't treasure up treasures on earth. And this refers to material possessions. Now, Jesus is not against any form of saving or investment or insurance, but he's against a mindset of selfish hoarding and accumulation out of greed for one's own gain. That's when money has become your treasure. But here is the very surprising part. If you hear Jesus carelessly, you would think Jesus is just against storing up of any treasures, period. But if you look at verse 20, He's not against storing, treasuring up treasures. He doesn't tell us not to store up treasures. In fact, He commands us. He commands us to store up treasures. He's saying, stop storing what you think are treasures in the wrong place and start storing what are true treasures in the right place. Now, for those of you who make investments, this will make sense to you. He's actually saying in this sermon, make the best investment. That's why he says in verse 20, lay up treasures in heaven. For who? The exact words, for yourselves. Now, let's leave aside for a while what exactly these heavenly treasures are. I'll come back to that again later. But what we do know for sure is that God promises to reward his people for faithfulness, for obedience. This is not the only place in the Bible where heavenly treasures or rewards are mentioned. Hebrews eleven six, for example, God rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Even when we receive these treasures or rewards eventually, we know this is not by merit, but by grace. But here I want to address something that I know many people trip over. You know, when I was a young man in my early 20s, I was already a Christian. An older Christian came to me and told me that according to the Bible, God wants to reward me in heaven for my loving obedience here on earth. And my first instinct was that I objected to that. I said, no, I will serve God, right? Because I love Him and all of that. I want to be faithful to Him. I do not need, I do not want to be rewarded by God whatsoever. Now, I didn't understand why heavenly treasures or reward must come into the picture. And I tell you, many people including Christians, struggle with this teaching. They find this teaching from Jesus on laying up treasures in heaven very, very different from this whole idea of selflessness and sacrifice we often hear regarding the Christian faith. Sometimes when people think about this whole idea of gaining treasures in heaven, they find the concept very selfish. It feels the same as getting treasures on earth. It's like you're still trying to get things for yourself. Just that one thing is on earth, the other thing is in heaven. But in this sermon, Jesus himself, I didn't say it, he said it, you must lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven. Now why is it not selfish to lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven? And i tell you why. Because selfishness is more than just thinking or caring about yourself. Now if you are selfless, you do think of yourself a lot less. But even the most humble person still has to think about or plan for himself. So in essence, that's not what selfishness is. So what is selfishness? Now here's a good definition for you. Selfishness is the pursuit of gain at the expense of others. Selfishness is the pursuit of gain at the expense of others. And when you lay up treasures on earth where resources are limited, that's what happens. You will be selfish. When money becomes your treasure, you'll be seeking gain at the expense of others. Put it another way, you will withhold from being generous, you will pull back from helping those in need because you want to keep more for yourself, the money for yourself, which are your treasures for yourself. But when it comes to heaven, storing up treasures is totally different. God, the possessor of heaven and earth, remember what Melchizedek and Abraham said, God, the possessor of heaven and earth, He doesn't have a limited number of heavenly treasures to distribute. There is no limit. So when you store up treasures for yourself in heaven, it does not in the least reduce the treasures available to others. In fact, it is by giving to God and others here on earth that you will store up heavenly treasures. Everyone gains when that is your goal. You want to lay up treasures in heaven. No one is disadvantaged. No one loses. In other words, it is impossible to be selfish in the gaining of heavenly treasures above because it will not come at anyone's expense. If you think laying up treasures in heaven is selfish, you have not come to fully appreciate the God of heaven as a God of boundless, infinite blessings. Now, you may be wondering, though, what kind of giving is necessary for storing up treasures in heaven? Now, well, this includes time and effort, definitely good deeds done in faith, the way we respond in love to others during this time of crisis, for example. For sure. But in the context of this particular sermon, the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus, Matthew 6, The emphasis is on financial giving. Now, how do I know this? Now, if you look at your Bibles in Matthew 6, you will realize that right at the start, verse 1, Jesus begins by talking about giving to the needy. So this portion that you have in the bulletin is part of a larger portion in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, verse 1 begins with giving to the needy. So this portion on laying up treasures started there. right? Beginning in verse 19, would be understood naturally as an elaboration of financial giving. Secondly, his original audience is actually very familiar with the whole concept of financial giving. They were taught that at homes, they were taught that in the synagogues, which is their place for religious instruction and worship. Jesus adds a new dimension to this particular teaching here, but his audience would not be surprised for him to address this giving of money directly like that. And thirdly and most significantly, what Jesus says in Luke 12:33 confirms that laying up treasures involves financial giving. Listen to Luke 12:33, Jesus says something similar in a different context. He says, "Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys." Do you see the similarity? So here Jesus makes explicit the link between giving away of material possessions to laying up treasures in heaven. In other words, you lay up treasures in heaven through your financial giving here on earth. In the eyes of Jesus there is an obvious connection. Now let me make this connection even clearer and stronger for you. Because some of you may be thinking laying up treasures in heaven is still an optional thing. Now listen, suppose you don't want to lay out treasures here on earth. You tell yourself, you don't want to be that kind of person. I don't want to be greedy. I don't want to hoard. But let's say you also have no interest, zero interest in laying out treasures in heaven either. You say to yourself, I don't need treasures in heaven. I'm not interested. I'm okay. Just going to heaven is fine. Do you know what will happen to you? because of your lack of interest in heavenly treasures, you actually would not be as generous or as loving with your giving as God intends you to be. Why? That's because you only have half the motivation that Jesus talks about in the passage. You may not seek to lay up treasures here on earth, but you are also not intentionally laying up treasures in heaven. That doesn't work you actually need to have both verses 19 and 20 working together in you to lead a life full of generosity. Now question, do you think you are a generous person with regard to your finan- material possessions? Have you been giving to God, to the church, monthly, regularly? Have you been giving generously to people around you who are needier than you? If the answer is a no, then this must be true of you. You are lacking heavenly treasures as part of your motivation. Even if you think you are generous, you still need this motivation. It will lead you to greater degrees of generosity than you would even imagine. Look at verses 19 to 20 again. I just flash this on screen. Now, do you realize that Jesus is teaching us something very insightful here? As you look at what Jesus is saying, do not lay up treasures for yourselves on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Do you realize he's teaching something really insightful? Now think about it this way. Suppose you see someone who is obsessed with money, right? just way obsessed in your opinion, and you want to advise him against it. What would you say to that person? How would you advise such a person? Now you may say, do not lay up treasures for yourselves on earth, and you give a reason. Uh, you may say, Because you're not living here forever. You can't take money with you after you die, right? That's fair enough. It's a biblical concept actually. It pops up elsewhere in the Bible. But many people would hear and think to themselves, of course I know that I can't take this money with me after I die, but I still want to have a lot of money until the point I die. (laughs) And do you know why people think like that? It's not that they want to take their money with them after they die. They know it's not possible. It's not just Christians who know that we won't live here on earth forever, right? Everyone knows. So why do people keep on storing up treasures here on earth then? Now listen to this. Because money gives people a sense of security. Money gives people a sense of security. The more the money the more the feeling of security. Now, many people think this way. It doesn't even matter even if I don't spend much of it until I die. I just like the feeling of having many zeros in my bank account. I like that feeling that no matter what happens in life, no matter how it rains, no matter how it pours, no matter what happens, I will still have a lot of money to keep me secure. And if you look at what Jesus is saying, He knows exactly that's what's in the human psyche. So here, He's not saying that you can't take that money with you after you die, even though that's true. Instead, He addresses a different problem. He hits at the exact spot of why so many people hoard material possessions. He's saying, beware. Money is giving you a false sense of security. It is not secure. You know, during the time of Jesus, they don't have a banking system the way we do now. So people store up their wealth in literal commodities. So there are three major forms. Garments, grain, and gold, or some other precious metal. But primarily, garments, grain, and gold. And here Jesus brings up the three things that threaten them. The security of the treasures. Like clothes, more of larvae, they eat up the garments. Moth, so not secure. Eat up the garments. You see the word rust? Now another word, another possible translation actually is the word worms. And some scholars would say that's what is referred to here. And worms attack grain. Not secure. And then thieves break in and steal what? They steal gold. Not secure. Basically Jesus is saying, Material possessions, or you could say money, gives a false sense of security. If you're putting your security in money, you are putting it in the wrong place. And Jesus is saying, try another treasure stored in a different place. In heaven, no moth, no rust or worm can destroy, or thieves can break in and steal. That gives true security. Even when disaster strike. You can have Hong Kong protests until your business is shut down. You can have raging forest fires in Australia until one billion animals die and the whole ecosystem collapses. You can have Wuhan coronavirus and the whole cities are locked down and they become ghost towns. In these scenarios, your earthly treasures may get threatened, shaken, but your heavenly treasures will always be secure, untouchable. Now, have you been deriving your security from accumulating wealth? If yes, money has become your treasure. You know, or even if you're very poor, really, really poor, do you feel very insecure and feel pressured by the need to accumulate more? If you are, money may have become your treasure too. Now, no matter how poor you are, I tell you this. There is someone in this world literally poorer than you but who feels more secure than you. That someone shares the same spirit as the poor widow in Mark 12 who gave her two copper coins to the Lord. It's not how much money you have. It's what money means to you. Now I want to stress that I'm not against saving or investment. You can be a wise steward as you plan for the future. That's good. But if you ever do so, thinking that you are becoming increasingly secure because of having more money, money has become your treasure. Money has everything to do with stewardship, nothing to do with security. Remember the sermon on the parable of the talents, Pastor Nan preached on last year? Jesus teaches about money in terms of stewardship, not security. So Jesus who owns everything in this universe actually, he's telling you money is not worthy as your treasure because money actually doesn't give you true security. It just gives you a false sense of security. When your hope is in money, your hope is in the wrong place. Money can be taken away from you easily. You don't even need to wait long until the day you die. It can be taken away from you even in this lifetime. Now Jesus after revealing that money is not a good treasure... He closes this teaching on treasures in verse 21. He says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And when Jesus says heart here, He means the core of your being, the center, the seat of your spiritual life. I think it's evident that how we treat our possessions is a sure indicator of what's in our hearts. Show me your monthly budget and I know what is in your heart. Your use of money is an indicator. But listen carefully again. This is not what Jesus is saying here as well. Jesus is not saying, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. He says it the other way around. He is not saying, whatever your heart is inclined to, your treasures will be found there. He's actually making even a stronger point at that. He's saying, where your treasure is, you will find your heart there also. That means with regard to money, here's the truth. Your money doesn't simply indicate where your heart is. Your money determines where your heart goes. The treasure is there, your heart follows. Now this has practical implications for all of us. It means if you want to, you're a believer here, you want to have more of a heart for the eternal things of God, You don't just stand there, sit there waiting for God to give you such a heart before you give. No. You choose to invest today in the kingdom of God with your money. But not just your money, but also your time, your energy, your service. Why? Because where your treasure is, if it's above, your heart will follow. It will be there also. And that's what Jesus is teaching us. And we have to be mindful of the danger that money can become your treasure and now for the second point the second danger of money money can become your master money can become your master now how is this a danger take a look at verse 24 no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve god and money so interestingly, Jesus talks about money in terms of treasures earlier, and now He talks about money in terms of it being a master. In this verse, He says there are two possible outcomes. One is that money is your master, and the other, God is your master. You cannot have both. Uh, you may be thinking, right, that sounds quite extreme. Can't people have two different masters? You know, like they learn Wing Chun from Ip Man, and then they learn Taekwondo or jitsu from someone else two different masters, two different seafools. why must they be so opposed like that, right. Now the thing in the ancient world is that that's not how it works. In verse 24, you see the word serve. Now that's a Greek word from which we get the word doulos, which means born slave or born servant. Actually, Jesus is saying you can't be such a servant to two different masters, and everyone there would have gotten it, understood it. Because to be such a born slave or born servant during that time, by definition, means single ownership and full-time service. In those days, a slave was not a person. A slave was a thing. A slave had no rights. A master could beat a slave, kill a slave, sell a slave. A slave was a living tool. No different than a cow or anything else. A slave was a thing. To be a born slave, to be the property of a master, was to be constantly, totally, entirely, 100% devoted to obedience to that one master. It would be utterly impossible to express that to two different masters. And that's what Jesus is saying. Being a slave to one is diametrically opposed to being a slave to another. And he's saying, obviously, that money is a bad master compared to God as your master. Now, why is money a bad master, you ask? Do you realize that Jesus actually described money in a personified way here? Now, the term he uses for money is sometimes translated mammon here. It means the same thing, actually mammon, money, it means wealth. But let's think of mammon, right, in that personified sense as a master. How well would mammon, this non-living thing, lead you as your master? It doesn't have your interest at heart at all, you know. It is not able to. And you cannot trust it as your master. Compare that with a living God, living God, whom we know through the Bible, loves us and cares for us. For those of us who are Christians, we serve God as His bond servants, but He doesn't mistreat us. We know that we're not just His servants. We are His children too. We're not things to Him. We are His precious people. We are precious in His side. Now when a non-living thing like mammon or money becomes master over your life through greed, it's a most disastrous thing. It doesn't have the mind or heart to care for you. It will abuse you. Such a master will just take over your life and destroy you over time. Recently, I was talking to my oldest son, Kylie, who is in P4 right now, about this Wuhan coronavirus. So we were talking about viruses, and then he was checking with me. Papa, is a virus a living thing or a non-living thing? I thought about how the Wuhan virus is replicating and destroying lives currently. I, I said, it must be a living thing. And he told me, no le Papa, I heard, I read somewhere, I heard somewhere, a virus is a non-living thing. I read it somewhere. I said, are you sure or not? And then he said, yeah, a bacteria is a living thing, but a virus is a non-living thing. I said, how could that be? Now, being a bad scientist, but a good, discerning father and pastor, I sought the Lord by checking Google. (laughs) And Google said, a virus is a non-living thing. Oh, it is not alive. So strictly speaking, Viruses can't die because they're not alive in the first place. I read that viruses contain genetic instructions in the form of DNA or RNA. They don't thrive independently. On their own, viruses can't do anything. They need to invade a host organism and hijack its genetic instructions. So viruses pose a real challenge to the body's immune system because they hide inside the cells. It's not even obvious at the onset. This non-living thing hides itself and over time takes over the whole body. It becomes the master leading it to destruction. I heard Tim Keller say this once. Any other sin, people know when they sin. Anger, hatred, lying, adultery, it is obvious. People know when they have sinned this way. By greed, nobody thinks they are greedy. Nobody. It's always somebody else. Greed, the love of money, is a hidden sin. Imperceptible, deep inside. It may be inside you right now, and you don't even know it. And the symptoms are not very obvious at the onset. People only take notice when it becomes very, very serious. Exploitation, fraud, robbery, embezzlement, problem gambling, etc. That's when people realize, oh, greed is very destructive. But when there are no symptoms, what's the problem? You don't even know it. Do you realize that's how money works when it becomes your master? I just said that money is a helpful tool in this world. But when it takes control, control through greed in you, it's totally different. It behaves like a virus. It's like an infection hidden within you and destroys you over time without you even knowing it. And it's not after you're good. Non-living things never lead you for good. They don't make good masters. Many times you're thinking that you're making good decisions for yourself, but no. Spiritually speaking, you know what is happening? You are just under the control of that master. So in your greed virus infected disease state, you would actually feel certain needs you otherwise wouldn't have at all in an absolutely spiritually healthy state. Greed turns your desires, makes them feel like needs. Greed makes your desires feel like needs. So maybe you feel like you need to go for the excessively expensive holidays. You feel like you need to actually buy that unnecessary luxury item. You feel like you need to choose a job based solely on how much money you make. You feel like you need more money to be happy. You need a promotion, the pay rise, the bonus. You really feel you need it. But these are symptoms of a diseased heart. As sinners by nature, we already have all kinds of impurity within. But when money becomes your master, it develops. It worsens our condition. Our church asks you a question. Do you know what is the most pressing global pandemic right now in this world. It's greed. It didn't originate in Wuhan. It has its first beginning in the Garden of Edom with Adam and Eve and the serpent beside. Some things don't change over time, you know. When you see snakes and human beings too close together, infection is not too far away. And over time, this greed virus has gone through multiple mutations since. It's been thousands of years, thousands of years, but people don't even care. Because it doesn't look like people are dropping dead. But the consequences are destructive. Now where do you think this greed virus spreads most easily today? First world cities like Singapore. How do you know if you are infected already? If you're taking precautions, you recognize you're really greedy, you might be taking precautions on your way to recovery. If you don't even recognize that you are greedy at all, you're almost definitely greedy. Confirmed. Wow, so many people laugh. (laughs) It is a sin, it is a disease of the heart, and you need help. Let me tell you the third danger of money as I unpack for you this danger. And you would then come to understand the help that is given to all of us as well. Third danger of money. Money can blind you to your true treasure and master. Now if you consider the flow of this whole passage, you wouldn't necessarily find it strange. Because there is this middle portion in verses 22 to 23 on eyes and light and darkness that seems rather out of place. But it's not is actually linked to the whole idea of having the true treasure and master. Let me read those two verses for you. Jesus says in verses 22 to 23, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now what is Jesus saying here? Now, it's helpful for us to know that in Jewish literature, the eye is similar to the heart. So Jesus is using a very familiar illustration for His audience, comparing the eye to the heart. And Jesus says, this eye is like the lamp of the body. That means if you have got a good eye, meaning healthy eyes, single-mindedly looking to God, expressed to generosity it will light up your entire spiritual being. But if your eye is bad, and the bad here is opposite of healthy, it denotes being diseased. You are looking to material things in a selfish way, hoarding for yourself. It will blind you totally. You do not see spiritually as you ought to. Now again, if you've been following the chapter a day, reading, you will remember what Jesus says later in Matthew chapter 7. Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. It's the same concept that is continuing in the same sermon, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. Healthy, good, bad, diseased. And money as your treasure and master blinds you to your true treasure and master when you are in a diseased state, you actually cannot see clearly. Now, what hope is there? Our hope is in Jesus. True hope to this spiritual disease is found in Jesus alone. You know, Jesus said one time, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And through His ministry, He came with the purpose about bringing this healing to the sick, both physically and spiritually. And how does he heal? Through his perfect life and death. Look at the cross. On the cross, Jesus was a picture of radical generosity. He didn't just have a good heart. He had a perfect heart. He had a perfect eye. He was not stingy in the least. He didn't withhold anything. He gave himself freely, sacrificially in love so that all who believe in Him will find healing. He took the deadliest infection of our disease state unto death so that by His stripes we are healed unto life. Do you know what's the mortality rate for the Wuhan coronavirus? Meaning to say how many people die when they get the virus? Some say about 2%. SARS, about 10%. MERS, the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, about 34%. And do you know what is the mortality rate for the disease of sin? 100%. And not just death. Eternal death in hell. Now church, we must urgently warn our loved ones, colleagues and friends about this global sin catastrophe and tell them about Jesus Christ. All of mankind are as dead as dead can be without Jesus Christ. It's urgent. And little children get it, you know. On the first week of primary school, Kayang, my seven-year-old son, he came back home to tell me excitedly. His primary one classmate told him he believes in Jesus after Kayang had told him that Jesus saves. Now his classmate can't come to church on his own at this point, but that's a start. If you're in school, there's a reason why your classmates end up your classmates. Please tell them about Jesus, please. You see, when an infection is very serious, the only hope is if there are people who are willing to sacrifice their lives to put a stop to it. It takes courage, it takes love. And for the most serious infection that spread globally from Adam and Eve to every human being, the only solution is found in the greatest sacrifice ever. It is only because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross that His healing light can shine into our serpentine infected darkness. And for all of us who know Christ, we are blinded no more. We were blind, but now we see. And that is when we realize money for what it is. Money cannot be our master. Money cannot be our treasure. You know, earlier I asked the question, what exactly is our treasure in heaven? And if you were to ask Apostle Paul, he would say this, Christ is his greatest treasure. Christ is his treasure. Philippians 3, eight, Paul wrote this to the church in Philippi. He said, for his sake, meaning Christ's sake, And why for his sake? Because he recognizes Christ is his master. He says, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. He says, it's okay to suffer. Why? In order that I may gain Christ. Do you see how well Paul understands Matthew 6 in light of Jesus Christ? So Christ, the very Son of God, is his master. For his sake, he is obeying him. Sacrificially so. And why? Because Christ is His treasure. He gives this very reason that I may gain Christ. Now all the biblical promises of treasures and rewards, whatever form they take in heaven above, are ultimately or intricately linked to gaining Christ. Whatever Christ gives unto us as a reward will be connected to a greater enjoyment of Christ Himself. His love is our reward. You know, in this world today, many people say they are Christians, but they are actually not. Not truly. How do you know truly if you are a Christian? And if you are not a Christian and you are hearing this message today, and you want to believe in Jesus, what does that mean for you? Today's passage grants us a precious insight. The Christian... It's not just someone who declares Christ is my master in terms of obeying Him, following Him and all of that which is wonderful. The Christian is someone who declares Christ is my treasure. Christ is my treasure. Do you see how this faith is totally different from anything else in this world? If you do not know this Christ, believe in Him and be saved this very day. When you become a Christian, your greatest hope and joy is unshakable. It's bound up with this truth. Christ is mine forevermore. And you can keep on gaining more of Christ and no one else will ever leave out. Christ is yours. Yet there is more than enough Christ to be enjoyed for everyone in His universal church forevermore. Now I say to all of you this day, If you truly notice Christ, your corrupt love of money, which is a root for all kinds of evil in your life, will be replaced by a pure love of God, which will lead you to all kinds of good. Your mammon-loving, selfish greed will be replaced by Christ-serving, loving generosity. And that is true evidence that you are no longer diseased. You are healthy. And you have found spiritual vitality and longevity in Jesus Christ, your true master, your true treasure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come in humble repentance. Each of us has sinned in the way we look to money as our worldly treasures. Forgive us. And for those who do not know you or are far from you, I ask that you draw them deeper into intimacy, into relationship with you. Thank you for cleansing us and granting us a new hope, a new joy in Christ. Empower us with your spirit that we may follow Christ in obedience as our master and to gain Christ in delight as our treasure. Through all of our regular giving to church and to the needy, may we reflect not the ways of this greed-infested world, but increasingly the depth of your generous love for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's rise to our feet right now, church. Let's respond in worship unto our Lord Jesus. He's our true hope. And the song that Sarah had introduced to us just now in worship, let's sing this unto the Lord, recognizing that Christ is ours forevermore.
2: of sorrow darkness not yet understood Understood. Christ is mine forevermore.
3: Oh, Father, we thank you for your word this morning that Christ is ours forevermore. May he be our true treasures and our real master. For money can never do what Christ has done for us money the love of money will inflame our greed and cause us to be diseased and lead us into self-destruction lord set us free from that disease let our hearts be warm and turn to christ alone he is ours forevermore in jesus name we pray Amen. Amen. So, church, uh, would you uh, open your hands as I bless you with uh, benediction? The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, the service has come to an end. Uh, but do stick around, okay? We have some uh, snacks for you in the back, and uh, we can get to know one another, all right? God bless.